you brought your Bible, go please to the book of Ezra, chapter 4, the book of Ezra. I keep calling it a New Testament book, it's an Old Testament book, just after the book of First and Second Chronicles. I'll give you a moment to find that. Chapter 4, we'll be reading verse 1 through 5, and then verse 24, the last verse of the chapter. We have been talking about the subject of first as we began this new year. We've all heard uh, little cliches which are so true, first things first, and putting your best foot forward and so on. We have been looking at what God's Word says concerning the first things we talked about building an altar first. These days, this is the end of the first week of our 21-day fast as a church, as a corporate body, in which we are offering unto the Lord an altar, a place for fellowship and communion with Him. And if you haven't joined the uh, corporate fast, I encourage you to do so uh, this coming week and to especially make time every day at noon to agree with somebody in prayer. I believe that noon every day is an hour of power for Kingsway Church. As all of us are praying together, have you felt God's presence in those little prayer meetings this week? Amen. And I know that as we come together in unity that God is hearing us. And make that your decision this week to do that as well. If you're at work and you have a lunch break at noon, and you have a co-worker that doesn't know Christ, just tell him, look, my pastor wants me to pray with somebody, and so I want to pray with you, and ask what their requests are, and you have may have an open door for the gospel there. So, uh, hour of power, every day at noon, as we pray and fast and we seek the Lord. Then we talked about last week, the importance of building a foundation. A foundation will determine your future. If you look at a foundation, you look at a cement slab, you can tell if it's going to be a patio or a skyscraper based on the foundation. And so it is important that you and I build a foundation. And we saw last week how the nation of Israel had returned from the exile in Babylon and they had come uh, to rebuild the house of the Lord. And the first thing they did was build an altar. The second thing they did was to build the foundation, to lay the foundation, and then they began to build that house for God. And shortly after that, the scripture says, Now when the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the people of the exile were building a temple to the Lord, to the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel, the head and the head of the father's households, and said to them, let us build with you, for we, like you, seek your God. We have seen, have been sacrificing to him since the days of Eshadron, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel and Joshua, the, the rest of the heads of the father's households of Israel, said, You have nothing in common with us in building a house for our God. But we ourselves will together build to the Lord God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and frightened them from building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their counsel all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia. 
even unto the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now, if you would go to verse 24. And the work on the house of God in Jerusalem ceased, and it was stopped until the second year of the reign of Darius, king. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that this morning you would come and speak directly to every one of our hearts in our place of need. I believe this morning that you desire for your church to hear your voice and to be receptive to that which you would say to us. And I pray that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God as well anoint the hearing of this congregation that in hearing the word they might receive it as seed sown into the fertile soil of their hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I want you to say this with me. Build an altar first. Build a foundation. And now this morning I want you to say, face your opposition. The nation of Israel is, is desiring to build the house of the Lord. And just like any time you set out to do anything good, opposition arises. I don't know why it surprises us every time, but it does, doesn't it? Anytime you set out to do something good, opposition, obstacles come our way. It seems like if you set out to do something wrong, that nothing stands in your way. Have you ever felt that way? There are no obstacles or opposition to that. But when you set out to do the will of God, all of a sudden it seems like there are things rising up against us on every side. And so as we begin this new year, and as you look into the vision and purpose that God has for your life. I want you to be conscious of the fact that you must face your oppositions. You must face the obstacles that come against your life and against the purpose of God in your life. And really it begins this morning with us having a change of perspective, a change in the way that you and I see the problems and the opposition in our life. Usually we see opposition and problems as something that uh, can hinder or can hold back the work of God in our life. But I want you to know this morning that opposition is not a hindrance, but an opportunity for your life. Now you say, Pastor, I have faced opposition. I have some problems in my life. I have some trouble in my life. I don't see it as an opportunity. When there is a problem in your life, there is an opportunity in your life for God to work. For you see, if you study the scripture, you will find that every person who ever received a miracle first had a problem in their life. Every person that ever received something good from the hand of God first had to face a challenge in their life. They had to face a conflict, some adversity in their life. And so it is that if you want to walk on miracle territory, that from time to time you will come against opposition and you must be determined to face that opposition in the name of the Lord. Is the church here this morning? So instead of being surprised when opposition arises, I want you to turn around and say, hey, there's an opportunity in my life for God to work a miracle. There's an opportunity in my life for God to manifest His power and his glory. The story is told of a shoe salesman. He was sent to a far off country uh, to, to start a new market there. And he got to that country and he looked around and he realized that no one in that country wore shoes. And he called his boss. He said, boss, 
I'm coming home. Nobody in this country wears shoes. He said, there's no way I'm ever going to make it as a salesman in this country. Well, after him, they sent another guy. That guy got out there. He saw the same thing. Nobody in that country wore shoes. He said, well, let me call the boss. He called the boss. He said, boss, send me all the shoes you've got. He said, nobody around here wears shoes. And I'm going to sell shoes to every person in this country. He saw an opportunity where other people saw a problem. And friend, God always sees an opportunity. So when you, when you and I have a problem in our life, we really just have a positioning point for God to do something great. Sometimes we say, you know what, I don't want any problems. I don't want any opposition. I don't want any trouble. You know what we're really saying when we say that? We're saying, I don't want any increase. I don't want to go to a new level. I don't want to achieve anything different. You see, if you want to stay right where you are, then problems aren't going to come your way. But if you want to gain a single inch of ground, guess what? There's going to be opposition. Giants are going to rise up. Trouble's going to come out of nowhere. Your uh, washing machine's going to break down. Your car's going to have a flat. All kinds of stuff's going to happen when you decide, I'm going forward with what God has in place for my life. But you and I have this assurance that in the midst of that problem, God has an opportunity for us. I grew up listening to R.W. Shambach. Anybody remember R.W. Shambach? He used to end every radio program saying, you don't have a problem. All you need is faith in God. Well, Kingsway Church, you and I don't have a problem. All we need is faith in God. All we need is confidence in God, and He is going to bring us through. We're going to praise Him, go out and praise Him, all right? Don't be lackluster about it. All you need is faith in God. So here they are. They're building They have a foundation. They're building the house of the Lord. And the opposition comes. Let's notice the nature of this opposition. Verse 1 says, The enemy came. And the first thing the enemy did, Now watch closely how the enemy works. The first thing the enemy did, He came and He said, Hey, we want to help you build this house for God. Be careful when the enemy offers you help. Alright? The enemy will offer false help. He will come around just when you're starting something, uh, uh, getting on the right path, and the enemy will come around and he'll offer you to, he'll offer to help you, but it's really not help. It's a disturbance to the purpose of God in your life. Can I just tell you, friends, if you have just begun a relationship with Jesus, be very careful who you allow to build on that foundation in your life. Be very careful who you allow to speak into your heart, into your spirit, because they may not be the voices of the of the Lord. They might be the voice of the enemy trying to disturb what God is doing in your life. So be careful because when you set out to do something for God, the, the enemy comes along and says, you know what, I'm going to offer to help. The fact was that this enemy had nothing to do with the God of Israel. He had no fear of God. If he had, he would have built the temple a long time before the Israelites came home. But now they see an opportunity to come in and disturb the nation of Israel from doing God's purpose. And so Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest, they have discernment. 
they get a, a clue about this fact in their spirit that says, nope, this isn't from God. Have you ever felt that? A little discernment, a little something in your spirit. We call it a check. A little check in your spirit says, don't mess around with that guy. Don't go, don't go around with that, with that gal. This is trouble. That group of friends is trouble. Friends, when you listen to the voice of God like that, you're going to stay out of trouble. And Zerubbabel, uh, the governor, and the high priest Joshua, they discerned this was, this was not help from God. And so they said, you know what? We have nothing in common with you in building the house of the Lord. And they faced their opposition by calling out the fact that they have nothing in common. You know, you and I must be aware of this fact. That there is an enemy against us in, with whom we have nothing in common. Light has nothing in common with darkness. Salt and light have nothing in common with the powers of this darkness. And so we must draw a line in the sand. A line of separation. You know, I read this, word, this week the Apostle Paul. He said to the Corinthians, Come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord. This is God's command for the church to, to be clear about the fact that we don't have anything in common with the world. That we were darkness, but now we're light. That we were lost, but now we're found. That we were strangers, but now we're sons and daughters. And so we come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord. And then I love what Paul says, the Lord speaking, he says, And I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me. What an invitation. God says, you come out from all of that mess that you're in, and you come separate yourself to me, and I'm going to welcome you. And not only that, but I am going to be a father to you. I'm going to be a daddy to you. I'm going to protect you, provide for you, and care for you. And I'm going to be the source of your strength. Well, the enemy tried that and gave up, right? Because the enemy gives up real quick. Have you found that? No, no, he doesn't give up quick at all. He's decided, you know what, that didn't work. I'm going to try opposition number two. And then he brought the voice of discouragement to the nation of Israel. And he began to discourage them. The Bible says that they discouraged the people of Judah in verse 4. Have you ever heard the voice of discouragement? God forbid, but have you ever been the voice of discouragement? You know that voice of discouragement, it comes around and says, you're never going to get this done. You're never going to be able to achieve this. This is always going to be this way. Your daddy was a drunk. Your, your, your granddaddy was a drunk. You're going to be a drunk. It's always that's the way it's going to be. Your parents are broke. Your grandparents are broke. You're going to be broke too. And discouragement comes in to argue against what God has promised and spoken over our lives. And the voice of discouragement can be so powerful as to hinder our spirit and hinder our faith from, from acting in, uh, active toward God. So we need to be aware that the voice of discouragement will come. You set out to do something for God and then discouragement came. You, you heard me say a couple of weeks ago, your seed will survive the storm. How many of you remember that promise? And then the Lord said, I'm going to receive an extravagant offering from Kingsway Church on February 7th. And I said to you, I want you to start praying about how much you're going to give in that offering. How many of you have been praying about that? How many of you already know what the Lord wants? Well, guess what? I know some of you, you got that from the Lord. You made a decision. I'm going to bring this offering to the Lord on, on February 7th. And then guess who showed up the next day at your, church, at your house? Opposition showed up, didn't he? And discouragement showed up. And they come in and say, hey, you can't afford to, to give that offering. You can't afford to obey God in that way. You can't afford to honor God like that. And discouragement begins to come in and pile on. 
And I've discovered that discouragement spreads quickly. If, if It takes a lot of logs in the fire to get encouragement going. But discouragement spreads like wildfire. And it will just put out everything that God is trying to do in your life. Who has discouraged you? Who has caused you to sit back and say, you know what, this isn't working out. This isn't for me. God is not uh, uh, the God of discouragement. He's the God of all comfort. The God of all encouragement. And then the enemy brought on another layer of opposition. He brought in fear. He brought in that sense of dread. Oh, what's, what's going to happen? What if they go and tell the king? What if the king finds out that we're building the house of the Lord? And then he, the enemy is going to come in and, and reign over us like he did before. And we're going to be back where we were. We're going to be back at square one or worse. And fear comes in. I want to tell you, friends, that fear is a terrible motivator. Fear is the enemy's weapon for us not to achieve what God has for our life. The Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind. And he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? For you see, friends, when you and I are confident in God, fear isn't able to, to disturb what God has for us. But when we allow fear to come in, someone has said that fear is false evidence appearing real. Fear makes your enemies seem like a giant. And it makes the trouble that's in front of you seem insurmountable. And then the Bible says the enemy brought in frustration. Ever been frustrated? Oh, no, you guys are so passive. You're just awesome. I love you guys. I love pastoring you because you never get frustrated. But sometimes the enemy wants to bring in frustration. You know, there's a story about an old Quaker. And you may not know much about the Quakers, but the Quakers, they spoke in King James. They were very devout Christians. And they were not allowed to have temperaments. They were not allowed to have ang- uh, outbursts of anger. And so one day, this Quaker was having trouble with his mule. And that mule wouldn't budge. And he, he started talking to that mule. He said, thou mule. He said, thou knowest that I am a Quaker. And thou knowest that I can't get mad. But what thou knowest not is that I shall sell thee to a Pentecostal. And he will beat the devil out of you. Have you ever felt that frustrated? This is what happened to the nation of Israel. They're frustrated. They're at their wit's end. And it's just piling on. Piling on. Have you ever felt like you're piled on? One thing, then another, then another. It'd be okay if we had one problem at a time, but we had to have all of them at once. Come on, where's the church this morning? And then they started writing letters. The enemy started writing letters. Don't you hate it? Facebook went wild. They wrote a letter to the king. And this was now an accusation. They said, oh king, you know these Jews? They're building a temple to their God. And as soon as they finish it, they're going to stop paying taxes to you. And if you don't put a stop to this, they're going to become rebellious. And the, the king got that letter. He got that letter of accusation. And he believed it. See, friends, the enemy is going to bring accusations against us. He's going to bring a a condemnation against us. And I want you to just notice with me, there's two things here. They're similar, but they're not at all the same. And they have very different results. There is something we call condemnation. Something else we call conviction. The Holy Spirit comes and he brings conviction to our heart. 
when we have sinned against God, or maybe we had a, a, a temperament or a, a, a difference with somebody, and the Holy Spirit will come and say, you didn't handle that right. You need to go and ask for forgiveness. You need to change the way you're handling this. And conviction comes, and conviction is like a lasso. It, it grabs us and it pulls us into God's heart. It draws us to God. That's the, the power of conviction. The Bible said the Holy Spirit, when He comes, will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. But then there's something that the enemy has counterfeited, and we call that condemnation. And condemnation looks almost the same. You've sinned against God, or maybe you've made a mistake, and the enemy takes condemnation, but now, instead of drawing you to the heart of God, he pushes you away from the heart of God. And you'll always know when you're under condemnation because it's pushing you away from God. Condemnation makes you feel like God doesn't want you, God doesn't care, God's disappointed with you, that God is mad at you. And I have sadly met, and this is not a joke, so don't laugh, but I have sadly met people who have never once in their Christian life felt like God was happy with them or that God was pleased with them. And I think what a tragedy to walk your whole Christian life feeling like you are under this uh, wrath and anger of an unjust God. I remember one friend of mine, he woke up in the morning, he said, I, I, I said to the Lord, I love you, Lord. And he said, the Lord told me, do you really love me? And I thought to myself, I don't think that was the Lord. I don't think God does that to us. Yeah, You know, I love you, Lord. The Lord's like, do you really love me? I don't know who that God is. It's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible says, I love you too, son. I love you too, daughter. And he is the God that embraces us. There is, there is no condemnation in him. The Bible says that in Romans 8.1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but after the Spirit. Friend, when you and I are in Christ, condemnation has no power over us. And the accusations of the devil have no power over us. And yet, this letter went to the king of Persia, and it began to have an effect. The accusation of the enemy on the nation of Israel began to have an effect. And the Bible says that letter, letter number one went out saying they're going to rebel against you. And letter number two came back and said, stop the work. And the people were afraid and they stopped working. And the, the, the building of the house stopped. And I want to just tell you, you can be the, it can be the third Sunday of a new year and some of you have already stopped because opposition has come, because obstacles have raised up against you, because things weren't as easy as you thought they were going to be. Nobody said it was going to be easy. But friend, you and I can't stop here. There's too much more ground to gain. And there's too much more for God that God wants to give us and that God wants to give to your families. And so I want to challenge you, don't stop here. Don't let this be your breaking point. It doesn't matter what the enemy says or throws against you. You press on. Now this was the result of what, of what happened. They stopped building and the Bible said that when they stopped building, the blessing of God stopped flowing towards them so that their money wasn't stretching as far as it used to and things started not going so well for them because they had stopped in light of the opposition. I just want you to know this truth. Opposition does not give you an excuse to disobey God. We might think, well, God, I couldn't do it because, because I had opposition. God's not concerned with that. 
He wants us to obey out of a pure heart, whether we have opposition or not. But the work stopped and the vision died. Have you ever felt like your dream died? Have you ever felt like the vision died? There's a little cycle, four parts here I want you to see. When the vision comes from God, number two, you start working on that vision. Number three, the vision dies or slows down. It's almost always that way. God will always bring our dream to nothing, our vision to nothing, even if it came from his heart, even if it came from him. Why? Because we tend to worship our vision. We tend to worship our dream. We tend to worship our idea of how God is going to do things, of how God is going to say things. And friend, when we do that, the Lord says, you know what? I'm going to have to bring your dream to nothing so that when I resurrect it, you'll know that this is my dream, that this is my vision, that this is my plan, that this is my purpose, and that it's going to be accomplished in my power. And so the scripture says that they are now at a, st- at a standpoint and they got a word from the Lord. What do you do when the enemy opposes you? When trouble comes? When you have, when you have uh, been hit so hard that it stuns you and you stand still? What do you do? When those uh, cliches that Christians talk about and those little, those little um, uh, framed uh, verses don't seem to be accomplishing anything in your life. What do you do at that moment? Can I ask you a question? How much are you going to let the enemy get away with? How much are you going to give him this year? Are you going to let him steal one more night of your sleep? Are you going to let him steal your peace? Are you going to let him have your joy? Are you just going to tell him, you know what, he's right. He won. He won this battle. Well, friends, sometimes we lose some battles, but we're not going to lose this war. God has promised us the victory. God has promised us that we're going to overcome. And so even if I lost the battle, I'm not going to lose this war, but I'm not going to give the enemy one minute of my sleep, one minute of my rest. I'm not going to stay up worrying about things I cannot change. God is in sovereign control, and I'm going to trust him. But how much are you going to let the enemy have? have? These folks gave him everything. They just walked away and said, you know what? We can't do it. Too much trouble. It's too much opposition. Too much pain. I didn't expect the fight to be so hot. And yet, in the midst of that, we need to get a word from God. Before you react to the enemy, hear from God. Before you react to your husband or wife, hear from God. Before you react to your children, hear from God. Before you react to your boss, hear from God. Get alone in a broom closet if you have to and say, Lord, speak to me. Count to ten if you must and say, Lord, give me the right spirit because right now if I go out there, I'm going to rip that man's head off. But right now, Lord, I just need you to give me some peace. Give me some peace, Lord. And his peace will come, won't it? And he will tell you what you need. He'll, he'll put that into your heart. You just got to give him the time to do it. And, and so and instead of reacting like some of us are prone to do and just be reactionary, go and hear from God. Israel got a word from the Lord and they got it from two prophets. One of them's name was Haggai. The other one's name was Zechariah. Haggai was the old prophet. Zechariah was a new prophet. But you see, it doesn't matter how old the prophet is as long as he has a word from God. And this, these prophets came with a word from God. And so the first one spoke. Haggai spoke. He was the, the old prophet. And Haggai said these things. He said, consider your ways. It's always going to be that way. When, when the old prophet speaks, it's going to be like, Sharp and hard. You might think, Pastor Isaac, I think you're an old prophet. Maybe I am. But he said, consider your ways. Here they were going through a problem. And yet he says, what have you been doing? Look at your path. Look at the study of your life. 
You see, we want somebody to come and say, oh, pobrecito, you're going through a problem, you're going through trials. No, the Lord comes and says, consider your ways. You stop building my house. And because you stopped building my house, you went to build your house. But unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. So while my house is desolate, you're building your house, but your money is not stretching as far as it can. And you're not able to keep a job. And you seem to be under, under uh, duress all the time. And instead of going upward, you're going downward. He says, consider your ways. Pay attention to the steps you've taken. Look at the life you've lived. And I'm telling you this morning, church, this is God's word for us. Consider your ways. Are there problems in your life, troubles, crises? Consider your ways. Look at, look at the things in your life. And maybe there's things there that God needs to adjust in your life. And then he said to them, and the next thing he said, get up and work. Oh, but we have opposition. Don't you know there was a letter written and another letter written? He said, get up and work. Isn't that just like God when we're on our knees having a pity party and say, I don't want to go out there anymore. The world is against me. I lost my job. I lost the relationship. I lost this friendship. And the Lord says, what are you standing there pouting about? Get up. Get up and go back to work. Get up and go back to the things I've called you to do. That's what Elijah was doing in that cave. He was pouting about how he wanted to die. He wanted to just call it quits. Lord, just call me home. Beam me up, Scotty. And the Lord said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Get up. I'm not done with you. I don't know who this is for this morning, but God's saying to somebody, get up, get up, get up. Go back to work. Go back to doing those things you know that God will bless and that God will honor. And then he said, and bring some wood. Go to the, go to the, uh, to the forest and bring some lumber. Go get some supplies and start building my house. But, but we have opposition. We have problems. God said, go work. And build my house. But Lord, it doesn't make any sense. Right now, Israel's going through an economic recession. You want us to build while we're going through a financial recession? The Lord says, go build my house. Go get the supplies so that you can do the things that I am calling you to do. I know that this is ringing true for some of you. Sometimes God's instructions contradict our circumstances. But guess what? If your circumstances are ever going to change, God's going to have to contradict them. And you're going to have to contradict your circumstances by obeying God. And by saying, God, if you said it, I can't see it. I don't really feel it. But I'm going to obey you. I'm going to do what you tell me to do. And they began to build. They, they were stirred up, the Bible says, because the Lord gave them one more word out of Haggai. He said, I am with you. Aren't those some four good words? Say this with me. I am with you. Just, just let that sink into your heart. The Lord is saying to you today, I am with you. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What a promise. What a commitment on the part of God. He says, I'm committed to you. I will not leave you or forsake you. I am with you. You have a giant in front of you. I am with you. You have a mountain in front of you. I am with you. You have a sea of impossibility. I am with you. And if I am before you, then who can be against you? Who can stand in your way? That word, the Bible said, stirred up the hearts of Zerubbabel, the governor. Stirred up Joshua, the high priest. Then it stirred up the people. They began to work. They began to build. And then the young preacher came around. 
the young Zachariah, don't you just love young preachers? They, they have all the energy in the world. Don't have a very good sermon, but they have a lot of energy, right? And, and Zechariah began to preach. And Zechariah came and he said to, to Zerubbabel, It's not by might nor by power, but by God's Spirit. This thing is going to happen. This house is going to be built. God's purpose is going to be fulfilled. But it's not by your might. And it's not by your power. It's not through chariots and horses. But it's by the Spirit of God. Can I tell you, friend, the things that God has spoken to your life, they will happen. And it's not by might. It's not by power. It's not by human ingenuity and craftiness. It's by the Spirit of God. You say, Pastor, I don't know how I'll ever overcome this addiction in my life. It's not by might, friend. It's not by power. It's by the Spirit of God. You say, Pastor, I don't know how I'll ever walk in divine health. Let me tell you, friend, it's not by might. It's not by power. It's by the Holy Spirit of God. You say, Pastor, I don't know how I'm going to heal the relationships in my family. Say it with me. It's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by the Spirit of Almighty God. What a confirmation that God gave to Zerubbabel. I am going to do this. But I'm going to do it my way. It's not under your strength, but it's by my strength. And then the Lord asks a question. And you know, the king of Persia had a nickname. They called him the Great Mountain. He had a name that meant Great Mountain. And the Lord says to the king of Persia, Who are you, O Great Mountain? And literally calls him out, says, Who are you, O Great Mountain, to stand before my people? Can you hear him today saying to your mountain? What's the mountain standing in front of you? Maybe it's a mountain of financial impossibility. Maybe it's a mountain of physical impossibility. Maybe it's a mountain of relationships that are destroyed. Maybe it's a mountain of emotional distress. Can I tell you today that God speaks to your mountain and he says, Who are you, O great mountain, to stand in front of Kingsway Church? Who are you to stand in front of my people, my sons and my daughters? He says, Who are you, O great mountain? Before my people, you will become a plain. I'm going to flatten you down so that my people will walk across on flat land, on flat, on flat ground, and they will see my provision and my power. Is God speaking to anybody this morning? Have you got a mountain? Let God deal with your mountain. So tomorrow morning... When you wake up and that mountain's staring you down like this, you say, who are you, oh great mountain? Who are you to stand in front of a child of the living God? Who are you to accuse a blood-bought saint of the Almighty? Who are you to accuse a son and a daughter of the Lord? Who are you, oh great mountain? And then the Bible says that he gave, he gave Zechariah, Zerubbabel this promise. Zechariah said, the hands that began this work are going to be the hands that finished this work. He said, Zerubbabel, you started this thing and you're going to finish it. God's not going to leave this project for the next generation. Oh, I like that promise. Somebody ought to reach out and grab that right now. God's saying, I am going to do this in your lifetime. I am going to do this while you are still on the earth. You know, sometimes we think, oh yeah, in the sweet by and by, I'll get all my promises fulfilled. David said, I would have given up if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living, right here in this generation. And God is saying to us, I'm going to do this through you, Kingsway. Your hands started this. Your hands are going to finish this. I am going to finish what I started in your life. And God is telling us, I'm going to do what I have promised. God never leaves a project undone. He's going to finish what he started. The scripture says that he who began a good work is faithful unto completion. And then the scripture says, when you finish this, when you get across the finish line, 
Zerubbabel, you are going to shout. You're not going to get across the finish line like a little anemic church trying to just make it. No, you're going to come across as a champion. You're going to come across with shouts of joy. And you're going to be shouting, grace, grace. Zechariah said, when you finish this, you're going to shout, grace, grace. Because you're going to know that it wasn't your strength. But it was the grace of God. You're going to know that if you had done it on your own, you would have fallen and failed. But because of the grace of God sustaining and strengthening you, you were able to make it across the finish line and to accomplish the purpose and the power of God in your life. He said, you're going to finish this by grace. You're not going to finish this on your own merits. You're not going to finish this on your own ability. This is going to be done in your life by the grace of God. Can I tell you, church, you can't save yourself. Only God can do that by His grace. You can't heal yourself. Only God can do that by your grace. You can't free yourself. Only God can do that by, your, by His grace. But when He does it, you're going to come across that finish line shouting, Grace, grace has brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home. You're going to have that conviction that it's God who's been on your side. And that His grace has been sufficient for you. What's the problem? What's the trial you're going through? Does it seem like it's overwhelming? Does it seem like you just can't get out from under it? Can I tell you, friend, that grace is the power that you need and that it is by the grace of God that you and I can finish what God started in our life. And then the prophet Zechariah said, Don't despise the day of small beginnings. It may have started as a small thing, but God says, I'm going to make it big. It may have started with just you being the only Christian in your family, but give us some time. And before you know it, everybody in that household is going to know the Lord as their Savior. It may have started as just a little light, but soon that torch is going to burn brightly all over the city. That's God's word to them and to us. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. You say, but I have a little bit of strength. God says, that's all the strength you need. I will be your strength in the midst of weakness. You say, but I only have a little bit of seed. God said, sow the little that you have, and I'll make much of it. For you see, friends, little is much when God is in it. Little is a lot when you have God on your side. So don't despise a day of small things. The Bible says that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The smallest of the seeds sown by the sower. But when it is full grown, when it has accomplished its purpose, it is a tree large enough birds to lay a nest in its branches. That's what God is saying to us. I'm going to increase you even though it seems small now but just wait on it and watch me work. Well, you would think with, the, with those two powerful camp meeting servants, the people of God got, got fired up and started building. They started working and the enemy said, well, I guess we lost this one. We'll just call it home. And no, the enemy said, you know what? I'm going to write another letter. And the enemy started writing letters and he wrote again to the king and said, they're building again. And I don't think they have your permission. And I think that you should stop them because they're going to rebel against you. And don't you ever just want to say to the devil, just shut up already. Just, just leave me alone. I, I already came this far. And, and there's a moment in your life when you've gone so far that going back is not an option. Have you ever been there? How many of you are there already? You just know that going back is not an option. Turning around is no option. And, and the enemy puts out another letter, another accusation. Now that's letter number three. But I want you to learn to wait on letter number four. All right? You might have a whole lot of letters coming and going, discouragement and fear and anxiety and worry, but just wait on letter number four because when God starts writing, it's going to be good. And, and finally, letter number four comes in. 
And this time it's from the king of Persia. His name is Darius. And the scripture says that Darius wrote him his letter. He said, number one, leave the Jews alone. Let them build that house. Don't bother them anymore. Leave them alone. Can you just hear God today? He's written a letter over your life. And he says to the devil and every demon, leave them alone. They are mine. I am going to accomplish this with or without you. I'm going to do this whether you oppose them or not. And then he said, and what's more, I'm paying for this project. He says, I want you to take money out of the treasury and pay for the building of this temple. Oh, I, that's my favorite part right there. God says, you know what? I'm going to touch the heart of the king. Not only is he going to allow it, but he's going to pay for it. He's going to put down the money to make it happen. And I just love it because the enemies are going to have to pay for the things they've tried to do against us. And the things that they try to use to oppose us, God's going to turn them around and make them fruitful in our lives. It's like the little widow woman. The, scripture, the, the, uh, the story goes that she, she would pray all the time on her porch and her neighbor was an atheist. And... And he would taunt her and mock her about this God that didn't exist. And finally he heard her one day saying, Lord, I don't have any money for groceries. Would you please provide groceries? And the atheist said, all right, I'm going to prove to her that there is no God. And he went to the store and he bought her a whole basket cart full of groceries. And he came and he put them on the porch and he snuck off. And he hid back there somewhere and he heard her say, Oh Lord, I thank you that you have provided these groceries for me. And he jumped out of the bush and he said, Hey, you see, it wasn't God. It was me. I'm the one that provided them. And she said, Lord, I thank you because you used the devil to do it. You used the devil to provide these groceries. God can turn it around. And then Darius said, I'm paying for this project and I don't want it to be delayed. I don't want it to be stopped. But you know, this is the best part of it. Scripture says that Darius the king, he said, I want you to give them all the oxen, all the sheep and goats they need. Because I want them to offer an altar every day before the God of Israel. You see, friends, when you stick to what God has told you to do, He'll turn your enemies around. And that opposition will become a worshiper of the living God. Darius said, you know what? The God of Israel is so good. I want them praying for me. I want him blessing my life. Friend, when you decide, I'm going to live an altered life. I'm going to live a life that blesses God. I'm going to live a life that obeys God. I'm going to deal with the opposition and go forward. God will honor you. And he'll put you in a place of prominence even before the kings of this world. He said, let's give them all that they need without hindrance. And the Bible says that the project of building the house was completed. Why? Because instead of giving up, instead of quitting, instead of throwing in the towel, they got on their knees and they heard from God. And then they acted upon what God had spoken to their hearts. And they went forward, even in the midst of opposition, even in the midst of trouble and trials. I'm talking to somebody this morning, there's trouble in your life. Some of you have little problems, little things going wrong. Some of you have big old problems, whatever it is. Little problem, little miracle. Big problem, big miracle. It doesn't matter. God is at work and God can do it. If you will just be committed to doing it His way, to saying, God, I'm going to obey you, I'm going to honor you, and I'm going to be faithful to you. He says, I'm going to accomplish this in your life. And you're going to come across the finish line and you're going to say, Grace did this. God's grace, God's unmerited favor. I don't deserve this victory. I don't deserve these successes. 
But God's grace has done this in my life.